Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Premier Chelsea, your source for all things Premier League, but starting with Chelsea first. Coming into you on your speakers and headsets, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I'm Jackie from Houston, and I have Rahul here from Stamford, Connecticut, and as you guys know, Alex from Waterville, Maine. Hey guys, how's it going? Doing well. How about you? I am superb after that 2-0 win. We called it, didn't we, Alex? Absolutely. I was glad to see the score fall that way. Yeah, and Rahul, you call for a win too, so I'm sure you're jumping out of your seat over there. I was jumping when Chilwell scored the second, even though it messed up my prediction. I was very, very happy. Hey, 2-0 away from home in the first leg against Porto. That's a big win, guys. Absolutely, and a good way to bounce back after that West Brom defeat. So uh, let's jump right into it. Why don't you take us through the starting 11, Jackie? Yeah, so as usual, I think every week we say we have a strong starting lineup. I may stir the pot today because we'll talk a little bit about the front three that he's picked. But Mendy in goal, again, solid, always done well whenever he's picked. Back three of Cesar Spilicueta, Andres Christensen, and Antonio Rudiger. Then the four in midfield with our wingbacks of Reese James and Ben Chilwell. And then you've got Mateo Kovacic and Jorginho, just because Kante was coming back from a slight injury. The front three, you've got Mason Mount, which I think he pretty much picks himself every week at this point. So I don't have any arguments there. And then Timo Werner again. I feel like he gets game time and doesn't get a break at all. Poor guy, but he was in there. And then we go with the false nine in Kai Havertz. Strong lineup, like you said, and a, a couple of interesting decisions in the attack, but uh, we'll get right to them. I just wanted to congratulate Espelicueta for making his 150th appearance as captain. Um, so a major achievement, and he's this is a guy that's played right back, left back, right center back, and played under numerous managers and kept his position. So huge, huge congratulations to him. Alex, any thoughts on the starting 11? Oh, I mean, you, you can't have any complaints, I guess. I, well, let me rephrase that. You can have complaints, um, but you can't be expecting anything less than a win when you put out uh, players that strong. Um, and, you know, as you said, Azpilicueta, what a guy. He's got to be the most underrated Chelsea player of the past decade, uh, the way he's just been Mr. Consistent. Um, but, you know, I think, I think this was a game that you name that lineup and you say go out there and get the job done and uh, from as I told people on my account I was not able to uh, closely watch uh, most of the match due to my unfortunate French class timing but from the little snippets I was able to see it looked like it wasn't always pretty but the job was done <laughs> absolutely and it wasn't always pretty and we will jump right into it uh, just before we do that I do want to mention that Malung Star who was uh, on loan from Chelsea at Porto, didn't feature in this game. So that was kind of disappointing. But apart from that, uh, getting into the first half, I mean, we started off pretty well. Uh, Ed Wall, Mendy had to come in and make some saves, which he usually does well and, and is a good st shot stopper. So it was good to see that the five goals he conceded against West Brom did not affect his confidence or his ability in decision-making. Uh, but then the big moment of that first half, Mason Mount turns into Pulisic maybe with that turn and, and the finish, which was great to see because that game at that point was just not going anywhere. It was back and forth and 
I was wondering where the first goal would come from, but it came from the main man, Mason Mount. So, Jackie, we've spoken so much about him, but it's valid, isn't it? First off, props to your Ed Wall, Mendy. I saw what you did there. I think people are going to appreciate the puns you keep coming in week in, week out with. But no, all credit to Money Mason Mount. My goodness, we've been asked so many times, why do people keep picking Mason Mount all the way from Frank Lampard to Tuchel to Gareth Southgate with England? If you do not watch this boy and you do not see what he brings to the team, you're watching a different game, in my opinion, at this point in time. What a superb turn. And I think the finish is what was the most impressive because big night, quarterfinal of the Champions League, I did not know he had not scored in the Champions League in his previous two seasons. So that must have been somewhere in the back of his mind, but he hit it so well. I think that's also, I mean, that, that for me, I was thrilled to see that hit the back of the net because there have been times recently when people have been doubting his finishing capabilities. Um, obviously, he was named as, I suppose, he was named as a forward this game. In, in Tuchel's system, it ends up being sort of a, an inside forward of sorts, maybe supporting the the striker or false nine in this case. Um, so even if he's not always in a direct attacking role, you do expect him to get on the score sheet. And he was taking a bit of heat during previous games. I know um, with Chelsea fans seeing he really had to get his, his goal output to the next level. Um, and I mean, here he certainly silenced some of those critics with a beautiful strike. So I was I was thrilled to see that go in. We all know he has it in his locker, and he he came up with it when we needed it most. He did, and he has been doing that since Tuchel's come in. It's a good point you bring up, uh, Alex, is that fans, Chelsea fans, sometimes don't appreciate all the work he does off the ball and just want to see him score, which is now what he is doing. So apart from this being his first Champions League goal, like Jackie mentioned, he becomes Chelsea's youngest goal scorer in a knockout stages of the Champions League he's the this was his fifth goal for Chelsea under Tuchel so that's more than any other Chelsea player and his seventh goal overall since the start of the year that also puts him top goal scorer in 2021 for Chelsea so all the criticism about him not getting the goals and him not adding uh, anything apart from running up and down which is a key aspect of the game the goals are coming too and he's only 21 years old, just to, to repeat that statement, is a lot of people are talking about, well, he does work off the ball. I want to see him score. Now he's scoring. Now we're going to go back and look for the next thing. It seems like he's one that takes criticism on the chest and just builds off of it and says, watch me, watch me, watch me. Here's what I'm going to do. Yeah, I mean, and that's the character and in, in... Uh, the determination from Mason Mount to say, I'm going to prove you doubters wrong. And he has been doing it and and you've got to commend him for doing that. Uh, so that put us up one nil in an away goal, which at that point we were very excited and happy by uh, the, the rest of the second, ha- uh, first half, I beg your pardon, kind of just back and forth, Mendy making a couple of saves, but going into halftime one nil up, it was very good to see that, you know, the team, wasn't particularly, like we've said, doing very well in that first half, but they had something to show for it. Uh, second half, we come back and Porto are pushing a little bit more. Uh, there was a very brief moment, and I want to bring you into this, Jackie, because you and I have spoken about this so many times, where Mendy starts coming towards the ball, maybe to sweep up. Uh, and he almost did that in the 51st minute, where uh, Morega, the Portu- uh, Porto striker, 
is running in behind, running in on goal. And Mendy thinks, let me come out and sweep this and then starts backtracking. And in the meantime, Morega takes a shot and Mendy saves it. So good to see Mendy, you know, realizing that not always does he have to go rushing out and, and try to clear it up. Yeah, I'm on the fence for that one. I saw the incident myself. I, I don't know if it was he misjudged it initially and wanted to come out, but then saw how quickly uh, Marega went through. I think he actually ran past Rudiger, if I'm not mistaken. And so maybe it was in his head that between him and Rudiger, they could snuff out the danger, but he, he was pretty quick. And I think what I did like about uh, Mandy in that situation was he did not panic. He kind of shaped up his body correctly to close the angle. And then from there was at least able to protect the shot. Now, long-term, you get a little bit of a smarter striker and sees that there's nobody in goal, maybe a chip, maybe a square ball. It, it can be dangerous, but I think I'm on the fence on that one. I think he handled it okay. Alex, I don't know. What did you think? Yeah, I think the mobility thing is something I've never thought from the beginning that Mendy was amazing at. He never seemed like he was uh, quite the sweeper keeper that we see in, say, a Neuer type, willing to charge right out of the box, uh, snuff out danger, close down strikers. But um, I mean, from the beginning, I saw him really as a, a top quality shot stopper, um, really staying in and around the goal uh, and just blocking shots as they come in. But as you said, it's 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 good to see him at least in a position where he can be quick enough to make these judgments, to recover, uh, to shape up his body well enough, even if maybe he's misjudged something um, a little bit. I think it's encouraging to see him developing as a player. And frankly, I think I think that's. The, I, I know there's been a lot of speculation of, of Chelsea uh, being linked to certain goalkeepers. You see Donnarumma, obviously young, fantastic talent. Uh, we've seen him linked for a while, but if Mendy can continue to add to his game, um, if he gets a, this little bit of mobility, um, if he gets the judgment calls right, um, I mean, there's no reason why he can't be our number one for a good time to come. Yeah, I agree with you. And I love the use of the word mobility because that's something we see with Mendy uh, not being too comfortable with. But this incident, at least to me, showed that he is realizing that it's not always, you know, something he has to do and come out and, and try to and help out the defense. So definitely good to see. Uh, Jackie, I think this incident I'm going to bring up now involves the two players that you mentioned up front in Kai Havertz and Timo Werner. So Rudiger, who has been taking a number of shots from outside the box and, and trying to get them in, uh, gets one on target. The goalkeeper spills it. It falls to Werner, who, to his credit, was alive and reacted and squares it to Kai Havertz, who at that point has an empty net to tap in, but also has Mr. Pepe breathing down his neck and putting pressure on him. So he puts it wide, and that could have been a massive opportunity to go two up. So touching on Timo Werner and Kai Havertz, Jackie, your thoughts? It should have been a goal. Long story short, it should have been a goal. Those two have enough talent in their back pocket that one way or the other, someone should have put that ball in the net. Can we cry over spill milk? No, we can't. But I want to talk about the bigger subject here that's, for lack of a better word, it's frustrating me a little bit. I, I don't think with the players, with the style, what Tuchel's trying to do, I don't think we're a false nine team. And it's very frustrating to see. I think we're trying to put a square peg in a round hole and squeeze Kai into being a center forward or a false nine. And, and I just don't see it working. And they talk a lot about Timo Werner being a brilliant finisher. And we put him behind on the left coming in again. I'm not sure I support that. Again, we won. I can be wrong all day long. It's just my opinion here tonight. But it's a little frustrating to see the likes of Olivier Giroud on the bench 
I think he would have brought a lot of strength in that first half and stability. Maybe that's a good word to go with. And even Tammy Abraham, I'm wondering what the kid has to do to get a look in. Yeah, I mean, it, it, we spoke about this in the last episode where we mentioned Tammy Abraham, we mentioned Giroud. Um, I know, you know, Alex has, um, he runs the other German Blues account. So Alex, your thoughts on the whole um, Timo Werner playing multiple games without, you know, being dropped, even though he's not scoring or performing as where we would want him to be, and then Havertz playing false nine. Yeah, I think for, for Werner, it's tough because there there are sort of phases of it, I guess. At the beginning, people were saying, oh, look at this. He's he's missing all these sitters. And then people started uh, shifting the narrative a bit and were like, well, he's creating all these chances as well. Um, and at least he's getting in the positions to score these goals. If he's confident, he'll have a ton of goals. Um, and then since Tuchel came, or he, I'm not I'm not sure. There, I know there was a point in the season where people were throwing around a statistic that our, our win percentage is like 85% with Werner starting, even if he's blanking on some of these great opportunities. So I think it's tough because every Chelsea fan wants to see him succeed. I think there's always the scary parallel of uh, a, a Fernando Torres or a Morata of a pacey striker uh, who succeeded at other teams and now is, you know, firing blanks for Chelsea, not able to fully, fully convert on, on a number of occasions. So I think a lot of Chelsea fans, myself included, are very uh, quick to defend Werner um, because we really want to make sure we give him full support. And I think you also saw, we saw Murata come out and say, oh, you know, there, it was a lot of psychological issues. I think if I'd had better professional support, it might have might have helped my my Chelsea career. I think the fans are certainly giving him a fair amount of backing. And with that backing, I'm not entirely sure uh, he's lived up to what we would expect from a player who's being picked every single week. Um, so, I mean, in this particular instance, I'm not going to blame uh, Tuchel too much because we did see Pulisic have the hamstring issue. So maybe his, the, the natural player who would play over Werner in this situation, maybe he wanted to be a little careful with Pulisic, but even then when Pulisic came on, I didn't see this part of the game, but I saw him bang it uh, crossbar and almost uh, into the net. I, I agree with something I saw on Twitter today when Instagram went down uh, for a brief period of time. Someone said, at this point, you have to say that Pulisic, given that, that he's fit, should be starting over Werner um, in terms of the threat that's brought to our attack, in terms of the confidence, in terms of the, the goal threat in general, just the, the clinical ability. I think, I think that's just what's got to be said about him at this point. And, and hopefully he works hard and breaks back into the team. Yeah, 100% agree with you on that Christian Pulisic point. I think when, and I said this in the previous episode, I think when Christian Pulisic is fully fit and flying, I think he's probably one of our best, if not our best player in a Chelsea shirt. And I want to be clear, I'm not trying to hate on Kai Havertz or Warner. In fact, I pulled up Warner's stats while we were talking here. I believe he's made like 34 appearances for Chelsea this season, made uh, 10 goals and eight assists. So it's not like he's having a horrible season by any means, but I think he gets picked consistently every week and we're seeing him struggle a little bit. I would like to see maybe Callum Hudson-Odoi get a run in and get an opportunity in a big game like this. Or maybe Tuchel's thinking Werner has the experience. Then why not a Hakim Ziyech who went to the semifinals with Ajax? So he's got big game experience. And that's really what it's coming down to. I feel like we're trying to squeeze players in, not because they're German. I don't think that's fair, but because we paid a lot of money for them. And so there are a lot of eyes hoping that they'll be successful. And I, for one, personally think they will be successful 
I think they need a full season under their belt. And, and maybe next year you'll see the true Timo Werner and Kai Havertz coming alive. That's got to be the hope because we've spent a lot of money, like you said, and uh, we do want to see them come good. And we know the talents there. We know the potentials there. So hopefully a good preseason. Maybe if they go to the Euros with Germany, that would get them some confidence. And then they come back and start performing to the levels that we know they can. Uh, but a player that Alex brought up, and that's Pulisic, did come on for Timo Werner. So uh, he didn't start, but he does come on. And, I mean, in, in the 20, 25 minutes that Pulisic played, I didn't see him, uh, you know, have any effects of that hamstring that we saw in the West Brom game he went off with. And like Alex mentioned the last time, I think that was a smart decision from Pulisic because he realized that this could turn into something worse and affect him for the rest of the season. And he said, no, I want to come off now so that I could play the rest of the games coming up. And he did he did well in the 20 minutes, 25 minutes he was on. Almost bagged himself a goal, which we would have been jumping and screaming for him. Uh, but it wasn't to be. And Giroud comes on for Havertz too. So the, the players we wanted to see from the start did eventually make their way on. And it was uh, Ben Chilwell who gets the goal uh, in the 85th minute. And makes it 2-0. And I have to commend him. He starts the move by making the run for Kovacic. Yes, Kovacic picks Jesus Corona instead of, of Chilwell. But Corona miscontrols it. And Chilwell then pounces on that ball and runs through. And shades of Fernando Torres rounding the keeper and putting it into the net. And this is also Ben Chilwell's first goal in the Champions League. So I think the pressure is on on Alonso. What do you think, Alex? Yeah, I think it's great to see Chilwell get another uh, another wonderful game under his belt. Um, and it's Alonso, I think, has always been, especially when you when you consider all the factors, when you consider the fact that uh, Chilwell's significantly younger than Alonso, when you consider that he's got better defensive capabilities, when you consider that he has better speed. Um, I think it's it's pretty clear and has been pretty clear for me, at least that if Chilwell can sufficiently adapt to uh, say the tactics that Tuchel or any manager is requiring of him, he's always going to be the better long-term option than Alonso. And that's no disrespect to Alonso who's been fantastic for us in several of uh, the past seasons and, and, and maybe, maybe certain portions of the past seasons. He has his times when he's in great form and backing us goals from left back, which, which we always appreciate. But, you know, I think, it's got to be Ben Chilwell going forward. And if this is anything to go by, he's our, he's, he's our starting left back, at least I would say next year onwards. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think between now and the end of the season, we will see some rotation. I, I, I think that's only natural, the amount of games that we're coming through. And we do have three pretty good left backs. We're actually blessed to have three pretty good left backs in our team. So I'm happy to see another left back scoring after Emerson scored in the previous champions league game. So it always helps, and I've said this forever, is when your defense can chip in with goals, it takes a lot of pressure off the front as well. But Rahul, I want to bring it back to the substitutions you were talking about with Pulisic coming on, Giroud coming on. I think I want to give credit to Tuchel here. He noticed that there's a need for a change. We weren't controlling the game as much like you guys said. It was a bit scrappy. It was a bit haphazard. And so he bought players like Giroud who could hold up the ball and then players like Pulisic who could use their pace to get that ball from Giroud and actually make a difference. And I think it did make a difference. It did make a difference to the point where we actually could control and then got that second goal from hard work. 
Yeah, I, 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 I mean, the substitutions were players we wanted to see. My only criticism would be you bring on Giroud in a game that's very scrappy and tight, and he hasn't played for the last four weeks or five weeks. So it's going to take him some time to get up to speed. And you saw that. He did everything he could, but he wasn't the Giroud we know or we've seen this season. So that's the only thing. But the other good thing was Thiago Silva coming on. And it wasn't a like-for-like like substitution. It was a, a substitution for Reese James, which meant Aspilicueta then moved to right wing back. So another position that, you know, he, he doesn't traditionally play, but fitted in well. And at some point, I think the commentators were talking about how he had turned into a right winger who was putting in the crosses and, and bombing forward, which was good to see. But Thiago Silva getting some more game time and 30 minutes the other day on Saturday and another 15, 20 minutes here, which was a good thing for him because we need him fit and ready to go. But moving on, I mean, that, that kind of won us the game that Chilwell gold, a 2-0 win in the first leg, an away win, no goals conceded, no injuries, and no suspensions for the second leg. Kovacic was one player that could have been suspended, but he didn't pick up a booking, and that summed up a beautiful night for us. And we will be back again in Spain as at the same stadium, but playing as the home team. Uh, so we will we'll see what it, how it goes. But we have the advantage. And at this point, the only question is, do we see or do we think we go on to the semifinals? What do you think, Jackie? I just want to touch on your Kovacic point there. I'm a little bit worried because I think Kovacic in the last four or five games has been probably our best midfielder, specific, specifically because Kante has gone through a couple of injuries. But... If he gets a yellow in the next game, I think that means he misses the semifinals and I don't want to get ahead of myself, but that's a concern. As far as the next game, I think it's written in the stars, guys. Like I said, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but we should be winning this game. It's the same stadium, similar tactics. Of course, Porto is going to want to come out and play well, but I think we've got the firepower to win this game. Yeah, I think there's no question that you have to be seeing this out. Uh, I mean... God, this is this is one of those sound bites that can come back to haunt you. But we're not Tottenham. We're not bottle jobs. <laughs> this, is, this is when Chelsea knows how to get the job done. That's what we do. And I think, I think the boys are going to finish this one off. I like that, Alex. I think that's that's a good point. Chelsea and Tuchel's experience says we will get the job done. So it'll be interesting to watch. It definitely will be, and I I hope you guys are right, and I can book my flights to Istanbul to watch the game. Uh, but moving on, I mean, just a couple of insights into the results. So Chelsea have now won consecutive away knockout games in the Champions League for the first time since April 2004. And the manager back then was Mr. Claudio Ranieri. So a long time in the making, uh, but a good sign that, you know, things are working well under Tuchel. Another one, no side has conceded fewer goals or kept more clean sheet in this season's Champions League than Chelsea. So again, shows you how solid we were under Lampard in the Champions League and how we've continued that under Tuchel. So good signs, good omens, and um, keeping our fingers crossed that we see it through in the next uh, leg and uh, go on to the next round in the semifinals. So the final thing with this game like always, is our man of the match. So, Alex, I'll let you start. Yeah, I think for me, you would have to go with Mason Mount. Um, just yet again, another game that he's completely proving the haters wrong, coming up clutch and getting the job done. 
even when he's maybe not our, our most, maybe he's not the name when you see the team sheet go out, who you would hope is going to score the goals. Maybe you're hoping Havertz at false nine has a moment of brilliance or Werner breaks his, his uh, unlucky streak. Um, you know, I think you'd always go in hoping those, those real traditional attacking players are the ones who are going to bag you some goals, but you know what? Mason, Mason does the job. Um, and I would say, I, again, I was not able to watch much of the game, but I'd give an honorable mention there to Reese James, who I saw, it was almost a, a like for like situation uh, with Trent against uh, Madrid the other day when Trent got backed into the right corner and he just sort of stepped towards the ball and got blown past as Trent does. Uh, and in an almost identical situation, I, I don't know who it was dribbling off the left, um, but Reese James stepped in, uh, stood strong and put in a brilliant tackle just to, to put it out for a corner, walked away like it was nothing, just a routine, routine defensive uh, contribution, but one that just shows how solid he is and how good, just really his lack of weaknesses is, is the key for me. So from the little I saw, uh, I was yet again impressed with that guy. You're, you're absolutely right. And uh, Mason Mount, I think, is a deserving candidate for the man of the match. And Reese James, I mean, again, he's a player that's not used to playing right wing back, but he's doing the job. And it reminds me of Moses, who used to play that position under uh, Conte and Aspilicueta behind him, directing him and giving the guidance, which I'm sure is very valuable to Reese James. And I like how, Alex, you turned this into a, a how bad Trent has been recently. So kudos to you on that one. Alec, um, sorry, I beg your pardon. Jackie, you're a man of the match? Well, I know you were messaging me, begging me to tell you that Jorginho was man of the match. I, I cannot agree with that. I thought he was good. I thought Jorginho did all right. I think he still lacks some pace. And actually, with that, he fits better into Champions League nights against some teams that are not as fast-paced as in the Premier League. But for me, it either has to be Mason Mount or Ben Chilwell. I'm going to give it to Ben Chilwell. I thought he didn't put a foot wrong. I thought defensively he was brilliant. And when he scored that goal in the 85th minute or so, I forget exactly when it was, it just shows that he had the energy to just keep going and going and going, which is why I give him credit for this. So Ben Chilwell for me. It's Ben Chilwell for me too. So, And you've touched on everything that I was going to say, so I'm not going to continue on that. But a good win, and hopefully we continue this form into our next game, and we will touch on that in just a second. Uh, just want to touch on some of the other quarterfinals that happened this week. So Man City won 2-1 against Dortmund. Uh, Dortmund really should have had that second goal that Jude Bellingham scored. And Jackie, I see you nodding your head. So what are your thoughts on that disallowed goal? Yeah, I don't know what to make of it, to be honest with you. I think that's as easy put as it is. I, I don't know how decisions are made these days. It, it's a little bit disappointing because it's an away goal. So in theory, it still works out nicely for Dortmund. It's not like it's over, but 2-2 is a big, big result. And I really don't know how these decisions are made sometimes. Yeah, I don't know how that happened either. But uh, there was a player in this game that Alex has brought up a few times, and that's Holland, who has now gone five consecutive games without scoring. So, Alex, I know we are a big push for him to come to Chelsea. Um, your thoughts on this very brief, but unlike him to not score in five games. Yeah, I mean, all I'm going to say is, I'm sorry, but having watched both uh, Alvaro Morata and Timo Werner play play for Chelsea, 
I would I would do a lot of things to have our strikers' worst goal drought be five games. <laughs> that is all I could say. Um, you know, I think I think it's frankly, if anything, uh, this week showed that uh, this week was sort of uh, the Mbappe comeback. You know, really uh, hitting. Uh, hitting back at the people who had started to say he was the the number two young talent after Holland once Holland was making headlines every week but you know I I still think he's a top class striker and frankly the league's over before it's begun if Manchester City get him in my opinion I, I agree with you and I I was just joking with the five um, game on you know not scoring streak but you did bring up Mbappe and he featured against Bayern, which was the rematch from the final last season. And Bayern at home against PSG lose 3-2, which was kind of a shocker for me because Bayern have been so, so, so good. Uh, even without Lewandowski, you expect them to be defensively solid. But for some reason, they came out and played a high line, which the likes of Mbappe and Neymar and Di Maria just exploited time after time and I think it was, in total they had maybe six or seven shots and Byron had like 31 but the goals that it's goals that matter and they got three of them so uh, they're in good position for the next round or at least the next game and even though it's 3-2 I think Byron may have something to say for themselves but yeah any thoughts on that guys? Yeah just one I think you covered it pretty well in that I think Byron did themselves in a little bit a lot of credit to Mbappe. I think he's wonderful, brilliant striker. And I actually heard today, maybe this is not true, but he's planning on not extending his contract with PSG. So that's one to watch out for as well. But yeah, I mean, you could see that Bayern were interested in playing a very high line. And that one goal that I think Marquinhos scored allowed them to just slot in. And I think maybe in the second leg, it's going to be a little bit of a different story now that they understand how PSG are going to play. Yeah, I had um that that was one game that when I saw the odds before the game, it was heavily favoring Bayern, and I personally put a a, a small investment into PSG. <laughs> so I was thrilled to see Marquinhos get that goal, but then when he went off injured right after that, I thought to myself, this is going to be a very 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 long second half with uh, a fantastic defender now out and Bayern absolutely pounding on the the PSG goal, but. Somehow, somehow it worked out. Mbappe showed his class. I got off a little lucky there, I will admit. But I think, you know, it, it, it well may be a different story in the second half, uh, as you guys are suggesting, because Bayern was certainly dominant. I like how you said investment. That's a good, good choice of word. For my um, mother who's listening. <laughs> that's what I thought. Um, uh, before I move on to the next game, we've mentioned Mbappe, we've mentioned Holland both may be available this summer. So I'm going to ask you both a question, and I just want one name who you would prefer, Mbappe or Holland, to Chelsea this summer. I think for me, I'm going to have to pick Holland. Just as, that's my thoughts on it. It's got to be Mbappe, and I love Holland, but for me, it's got to be Mbappe. I did not. I didn't expect Alex to switch it up, and I didn't expect Jackie to go with Holland. So I'm glad I asked that question. Uh, for me, I, I mean, ooh, it's a tough one, but I think I would go with Mbappe as well. I think, yeah, I think Mbappe is such a good talent, and it seems like he's had his heart set either on becoming a PSG legend or going Galactico style to Real Madrid. 
that I'd mentally ruled him out of the equation altogether, as probably we should continue to do. I'm not getting my hopes up for an Mbappe 2021 uh, transfer saga, but, you know, he's top class. He is. And if it happens, it happens. And if not, there's always Holland. So moving on to the final game, it was Real Madrid versus Liverpool. And I honestly didn't know how this would go because both teams have had kind of on and off uh, games and season so far. But you've got to give credit to that Real Madrid midfield and Vinicius Jr. bagging himself two goals, who may also be pushing himself into that discussion with Mr. Holland and Mbappe. But uh, just coming back to this game. 3-1 3-1 win for Madrid, and man, Liverpool really, really looked bad in this game, and I'm not sure if you guys got to watch the highlights, but uh, I think Madrid should be going through. What do you guys think? I don't know yet, because Liverpool can turn up on another day and, and behave like a world-class team, but for this particular game, I think, as you or somebody had mentioned, Mbappe was so brilliant for PSG it was almost like Trent Alexander-Arnold was so poor for Liverpool defensively. Uh, The mistakes he made, I don't expect from a Trent. And and I wonder if certain things are weighing on his mind with some issues in Liverpool and then not getting selected for England. Maybe he's got a little bit of self-doubt. But a couple of the issues going on with Liverpool there, we thought they'd got over the hump. You start celebrating wins and then this happens. I I don't count them out just yet, but it's it's a tough mountain to climb. Yeah, I think that's almost it's i i'm always skeptical of people who display teams as either serial bottlers or serial winners because frankly it's all about what those 11 guys who go out uh, whether they show up on the night um but i will say i don't think madrid has quite the same uh voodoo around them as a uh barcelona type in that famous liverpool comeback at anfield um, so I don't see Madrid letting go of this lead. I, I'm not personally predicting another fantastic Liverpool comeback on this one. I'm not either. And I, I know the Anfield aura and everything about Anfield, but there are no fans there. And Liverpool haven't won there all year long. So to de- to de- come back home and turn this around, again, not doubting them, but I just don't see it happening. So it'll be a fun round of fixtures next week. And Uh, We will be watching and we will be previewing it. So uh, keep an eye out for that. But now we've got to go into back to the Premier League and back to Chelsea, who faced Crystal Palace away from home. So, Jackie, you want to touch on the last five games for both teams? Yeah, sure. I can cover the form that we've had currently. And obviously for Chelsea, other than the Champions League game, which we bounced back brilliantly in, we did have an infamous loss to West Brom that was a big wake-up call. Before that, a draw to Leeds. Not too bad, but we did have that issue there. And then previously, wins with Everton and Liverpool, and then a draw versus Man United. So I wouldn't say a bad form by any means. Those are some difficult fixtures. Barring the West Brom blip, there was a little break with England in the middle there for some of our top stars and other you know teams like Germany and whatnot for, for qualifiers. Crystal Palace, on the other hand, have a draw against Everton, a win against West Brom, <laughs> so doing a little bit of a tie there. They lost against Spurs, drew against Man United, and drew against Fulham. So Crystal Palace, not necessarily the most prolific winning team, but they are pulling a result or two out there against some of these teams. They are, and they've got Zaha back, who now Michi Bacuayi scored the other day. Unfortunately, he won't be available in this game, but there's Benteke, who's been banging in the goals. So they do have some threats, and... Uh, the last fixture against them at, was at the bridge in October, and we won 4-0. And 
this fixture last year in Project Restart was one of Christian Pulisic's finest moments in the Chelsea shirt. So a 3-2 win, and I'll let Alex maybe touch on how he felt that day when Pulisic was just on fire scoring the goals. Yeah, I think I'm I'm backing Pulisic if he gets some game time for a similar display this time around. I think Palace are, as you said, they, uh, they're um, you know they're they're getting results. They're they're defensively not horrendous, but they have a, a back line that can be breached when we have players as skillful as Pulisic and the Mason Mounts, the even the 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 Timo Werners and Kai Havertzes of this world. Uh, not maybe in the best of form, but we know the qualities there. And I'm, I'm certainly confident that if we turn up um, as we should coming off this strong champions league performance, um, I, I was glad to see didn't really let the West Brom uh, humbling get in our heads. And I think, I think we're going to keep that champions league form coming back to the premier league. Yeah, I really hope so because we need to, we've slipped down to fifth and Teams in and around us are playing each other, and we will get to that. But Alex, what would you go with as your starting eleven, uh, knowing that you know the likes of Mason Mount and Kovacic and Jorginho played midweek? So, what would you what would you go with as the first eleven? Oh, that's that's a tough one. I think you have to be going. I mean, the back line almost at this point isn't anything uh, isn't anything crazy with with Mendy. Christensen, Rudiger, I, I can see here you guys as P. That's good. Um, I'm not sure. Tiago Silva, I'm glad he got a few minutes midweek. I'm not sure you need to throw him in uh, into this game. I'd maybe save him for that uh, Porto return leg. Uh, I think I think he'll be, be more useful in general. Just UCL games coming up, bigger Premier League games. Um, so I think really the question is, whoever you put as, as our wingbacks at this point, I don't think that's going to massively affect a game like this. I think Alonzo's not going to be the thing that loses us this game against Crystal Palace. I think it's going to come down to the midfield and attack um, because we know how solid we are under Tuchel and all these players are really trying to do their best for him. Um, with that being said, I would love to, I, I don't know uh, who's uh, suggested sort of lineup this, this might be, but I, I love the idea of Tammy Abraham getting, a run out. I think he's completely deserving of it. And I saw even after this game, um, he was joking around in the dressing room with Mount and Chilwell. Uh, I saw on Instagram, Mason Mount posted about his goal and he was saying first of many, whatever, just being completely supportive of the boys who he's come through the Academy with, who he's, who he's been friends with. And even though he's, I wouldn't call it freezing out because I don't think there's a personal falling out between him and say others I think he absolutely deserves uh, a chance in the side and I, I would hope he proves people wrong so you know I'd also love to see Pulisic get some minutes but realistically he may be a substitute appearance so that's maybe, maybe not a full 11 but a few of the key picks that I think would be important yeah and those are definitely some good picks and I'd, I'd love to see Tammy Abraham feature too uh, Jack question for you I mean Jorginho Kovacic in midfield again, uh, a third consecutive game, I think might be a little bit risky in terms of injury. Yeah, not only injury, I think he's going to want to warm Kante back up. And this is a good game to warm him back up in, in hopes that he's fully fit for the Porto game. So don't be surprised if Kante comes in and maybe comes off in the 17th minute for Jorginho, for example, just to give 
Kante a run out. Now, wing back, I'd like to see Callum Hudson Odoi play right wing back. I think we're playing a team like Crystal Palace. I think we should be on the front foot. And I think with Zaha playing on the left, Callum has something to offer and keeping him occupied as well. That'd be a good one to put at right wing back. I unfortunately disagree with you guys with Tammy Abraham getting a run out. I don't think he will. I think he will persist with Timo Werner again. So I think the front three will be Timo, Mason Mount, and then maybe, maybe, maybe Hakim Ziyech will get a run out. So you you think he plays Timo as the main striker? I do. Yeah, I think he's going to continue persisting with Timo Werner. That's that definitely will be interesting to see. Maybe Havertz might come back in as the false nine. Possible, uh, but definitely some good shouts. And only Tuchel knows who will play. But uh, I think we've come up with a good predicted lineup. And Chelsea yet to lose away from home. So we did lose at home, but away from home we're doing well. Three wins and two draws. And um, the only manager apart from Scolari to avoid defeat in his first six away games. So hope that continues and hope we get the win because as I mentioned, their top four races heating up and the, some of the other fixtures in this on the, in this weekend are West Ham versus Leicester city. So let's preview that just briefly. Uh, fourth place playing third place, two teams we did not or may not have thought, especially with West Ham being, up there but uh what are your predictions for this one jackie i honestly would like a less to win at this point in time it, it doesn't really bode well that they're going to pull away from us but i'd rather them pull away from on third than west ham pull away from us on on fifth so i think leicester can do it i think they're in decent form they have had a, a loss recently against manchester city but it is manchester city though so i think they can come back and beat west ham it might be super tight maybe one nail by jamie vardy yeah, in this, in this specifically, I think I'd have to hope for a draw. Maybe that's a little too much to ask for. Um, but I, I do, at first I was sort of thinking that maybe Leicester's a little, a little out of the way and we really have to battle for that fourth place spot. But some of Leicester's, uh, some of Leicester's final Premier League fixtures are against Manchester United, Chelsea, and Tottenham. Um, by no means easy games. And I think... I would love to have them each just pick up one point because I, I do actually have confidence that if Chelsea goes in um, and we play up to the, the level that we know our players are capable of, we could be in the running for third place if Leicester doesn't come away with favorable results in some of these big games because, you know, we're, we're five behind them. Um, that's It only takes a couple slip-ups from Leicester uh, for us to, to challenge. So, you know... All I can do is hope that uh, West Ham don't pull ahead. That would really be the worst case scenario. That would. And I, you bring up a good point in that if this ends up being a draw and we win our game, we'll still be uh, three points behind Leicester and we'd be ahead of West Ham United. So may not be a bad result, a draw, and, and we could then maybe nick it or get one of those spots uh, later in the season. Uh, so that's the one of the top four games. The other one is Liverpool versus Aston Villa. Um, and so Liverpool in and around us again, sitting in seventh on 49 points. Uh, so your thoughts on this, Alex? God, I mean, this is, it's a scary end to the season, but this is why we love the Premier League, I guess. Even when we're not, uh, even when we're not, sitting in suspense as to who the winner of the league is going to be this is shaping up to be 
quite the intense race for Champions League and even Europa League qualification. So I will say right now, I this is a scary one. You have to hope maybe that Aston Villa uh, pegs Liverpool back and gets the win there because I don't see Villa making a, a, a true uh, push for the Champions League spaces, but they also have a game in hand on us. So before you know it, they could creep right in. This is, <laughs> I will be watching these from the edge of my seat. That's all I can say. Hey, that's uh, the game in hand point is very well taken because we saw that with Everton. We saw that with Tottenham who started winning their games and have started creeping up the table and Tottenham play Manchester. You, oh, I'm sorry, Jackie. I didn't get your input on the Liverpool game. That's I right. I'm, I'm, a, I'm an Aston Villa fan for this <laughs> for this particular event because I do want Aston Villa to get that win. Like Alex said, they do have a game in hand, but I'd like to worry about that at a future time. That's future Chelsea's problem. Present Chelsea problem is let Villa get that win. That's funny. And Villa actually won the corresponding fixture 7-2. So... Even a, a similar result or even just a 1-0 would do for us. But like you said, we'll we'll be watching and be hoping for a Villa win. Uh, the next game I was going to talk about is Tottenham versus Manchester United. And again, the corresponding fixture earlier in the season ended 6-1 to uh, Tottenham. And Jose Mourinho against his former club. Uh, he's going to do everything he can to get this win. And they, that may not be a bad thing for us, but I feel like at this point as Chelsea fans, we may actually want Manchester United to get the win. What do you think, Jackie? I think it might end up being a draw. I don't think it's going to be 6-1 per se, but we've seen, at least in the second half of the season, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer likes to set up his teams to be a little more defensive and go for a point rather than a loss against some of the so-called big sides. So a draw is not bad either. It's favorable for us. It keeps them at bay and it should make for an interesting uh, run towards the end of the season. Like Alex said. Yeah, I agree. Alex, any thoughts on the Tottenham Manchester United game? Not particularly. I don't think realistically Chelsea are making up nine points in eight games on Manchester United of all teams at this point. So I'm, I'm okay if they win it. I, you know, that's another one where I wouldn't be unhappy with a draw, but it is what it is at this point. So, uh, you know, if you have to pick a winner, it's got to be Man U. Yeah, that's how I feel. I think uh, Manchester United is better suited for us to win than Spurs. And the last game I have on here is Brighton versus Everton. And that's solely because if Everton win this game, they come within one point of Chelsea. So even though we've spoken about we've beaten Everton in the past and they've been up and down, they are still in the running, and Brighton have been pretty good themselves. So a quick prediction from you, Alex. What do you think? You know, I'd love to see Brighton cash in on all that bad luck that they've had with expected goals and such throughout the season. Um, but honestly, for me, I probably see Everton taking it. They've got some big game players, and they know the significance. They'll certainly be in the hunt for those European spots. And remember, it's it's funny even to think about. It feels like it's been a long season, but towards the beginning of this season, there was a point where people were only half-jokingly saying Everton was in a title charge um, because of their strong start. So, you know, I guess you can't really write off any of these teams, especially now. It's almost like a little uh, microchasm, if you will, of the beginning of the season. You've got eight games for the majority of these teams, and anything can happen in these eight games. These are Premier League quality sides, 
Um, there's a ton of money at stake in terms of positioning in the table. Some of the lower level teams will be fighting for their lives to try to avoid the drop. I mean, you really can't predict this stuff. And that's, that's why we love this league, but my God, can it be <laughs> a little bit uh, nerve wracking as a Chelsea fan? It's the magic of the Premier League, as I usually say. So it, it's a good one. It's a good game, Rahul. I'm glad you picked to, to discuss on. Everton have drawn their last game, lost two before that. So they are definitely due a win. Um, Brighton, on the other end, have lost their last game, but had two wins previously to that and have also beaten some of the bigger teams this season. So I'm not going to give you a prediction on this one. I'm going to sit back and watch. We will be watching for sure. So those are some of the games uh, mainly focused on the top four race. Like Alex mentioned, it's getting down to uh, the final eight games. And as uh, they say in the sport, squeaky bump time. So uh, it will be a, a good you know, race. And hopefully it's us who gets one of those spots because otherwise our only other option is to win that competition in Istanbul. So fingers crossed. Uh, but now we move on to our favorite segment, and we haven't done it for a week or so, or a few weeks actually, but that's the blast from the past. And since Alex is um, our permanent signing here, I'd let him go first and tell us who he's picked this week. Yeah, so so this week I went for Gianluca Vialli. Um, pretty, pretty iconic Chelsea name, uh, I would say. Um, even myself, who never got to see him play in person, I've certainly heard of him, um, and I think he's certainly had an impact on the club. So he was an Italian striker who started out for Cremonese, Cremonese, I don't know, Cremonese, we'll go with, uh, in 1980, uh, moved to Sampdoria and eventually uh, Juventus. Um, his move to Juventus was a world record fee in 1992 of 12.5 million pounds, which sounds like peanuts today when you see the the transfer fees we've got but uh then you've got um a Serie A win multiple Italian cups and finally in his last game for Juventus he captained them to a UCL win over Ajax so Champions League victory in Italy um and then he joined Chelsea in 1996 in his first season he won the FA Cup um he scored two in a 4-2 comeback win over Liverpool in the fourth round but he then clashed with Gullet, our manager at the time, uh, was often left out of the starting lineup. So he wasn't getting great playing time, but he had helped the club to our first major trophy in 26 years. Um, and so, as mentioned, he wasn't getting consistent play time uh, thanks to his on and off relationship with Gullet. Um, but then when he was dismissed, Gullet, that is, in 1998, uh, Gianluca Vialli took the player manager role. Um, and then certainly added some honors uh, to the Chelsea team right before our, our, our much uh, storied and much mocked financial takeover. So he added the, the League Cup, UEFA Cup Winners' Cup, and UEFA Super Cup to the Chelsea Trophy Cabinet, uh, no small feat. Uh, in his final game uh, in his professional career, he scored a winner against Derby at Stamford Bridge. Uh, ended, I believe, with 21 goals for Chelsea, 58 appearances. Uh, those are the stats I found. But you know, just, I think, certainly a, an a iconic part of Chelsea history and, and a lot of sources I've seen have credited him with really bringing the club um, right to the point where that financial boost uh, took us to the next level. So, so a real formative uh, force, I think, in, in Chelsea's recent but not quite modern history. 
You know what? I love that blast from the past. And it's one, like you've said correctly, so put Chelsea uh, on the map in that winning those trophies and getting them that success that a lot of fans don't know, especially rival fans just think we've been winning things under Abramovich. But, you know, under Viali as player manager, uh, we won quite a bit of things. And uh, I love that blast from the past. And just thinking about player manager in today's era, I don't think we're ever going to see that. It's just crazy to think that someone could play and manage a team. Uh, but Jackie, who do you have for this week? I wanted to bring the blast from the past back to the African continent. I think my last one might have been Benny McCarthy from South Africa. And South Africa is famous for diamonds, but I found a gem that's coming out of Mali. This is Mamadou Diara. So a lot of people may not be familiar with Mamadou Diara because he didn't have a huge history in the Premier League, but I wanted to cover him because of a lot of links to the Premier League. By trade, he was a destroyer of a defensive midfielder. I mean, powerful. My first memories of him was him dominating the midfield along another blast from the past and another African in Michael Essien in a Lyon midfield. He started his career with OFI Kret in Greece for one season before Vitesse Arnhem brought him over to Holland. He had three successful seasons in Holland before capturing the eye of many a big European club. And Leon came calling. He was sold for 4 million euros. And this is where he had partnered with the likes of Michael Essien and Juninho. If you don't remember Juninho and those free kicks he scored for Leon, that is another name to look up. He never touched the Premier League, but wow. Those three dominated any midfield in Europe and actually helped Leon to four league uh, titles. At this point, Chelsea had picked up Michael Essien in 2005. I was hoping we'd pick up Mamadou Diar as well, but I have no regrets that we got Michael Essien. In 2006, Los Blancos came calling, that's Real Madrid, and they picked him up from Lyon for 26 million euros. The other team that was looking at Mamadou Diar at this point in time was Manchester United. So boy, am I grateful that Real Madrid plucked him instead of Manchester United. So another link, another link there for him. He actually was hugely successful at Real Madrid in his first two seasons. He was a stalwart under Fabio Capello and then later Bernd Schuster. He had won two back-to-back La Ligas, meaning he has now won six leagues in a row. Talk about success. In 2008, his third season with Real Madrid, he actually sustained a knee injury while he was on international duty with Mali. Uh, It forced him to have uh, surgery and ruled him out for the rest of the season. Here's where the story gets a little bit interesting. Real Madrid then went out and bought a new player by the name of Lasana Diara. So now I'm going to clarify the differences between Mamadou Diara and Lasana Diara and actually gave Lasana Diara Mamadou Diara's shirt, shirt number. Very interesting indeed. When he finally came back from injury, Mamadou Diara was not really looked upon favorably and tried to move on within a season and a half. He went on to Monaco in the January transfer window of 2011 Unfortunately, they were relegated later that season, so he moved on from there. He joined Fulham, where he's now in the Premier League, so we finally get to see his talent there, but did not get too many games, and unfortunately, they were they were relegated as well before he retired. He went on to play a total of 431 times, scoring 29 goals, but will always be remembered as one of Mali's finest exports, and that is Mamadou Diara. I, I remember him and a, a great player, a midfield machine, uh, you know, similar to Essien, like you mentioned, and, and a very, very good player. And um, even when he left Madrid and, and went to Monaco and then came to the Premier League, I was hoping we'd nick him because he would be a great, great addition to that midfield. But 
it wasn't to be. And uh, I believe we did end up watching him at the African Cup of Nations. Yeah, we did. We actually did get a chance to see him in Ghana. Yeah, yeah. so he was he was good. Uh, great blast in the past from you guys. And I've picked one that recently retired and actually played for Chelsea, but a number of other teams in the Premier League, and that's Glenn Johnson. So he started his career at West Ham, but moved to Chelsea in 2003 for six million pounds. Uh, he became the first signing in the Roman Abramovich era for just six million pounds. Who would have thought we'd buy a right back first, but that's what we wanted and that's what we got. His parents named him Glenn after the uh, famous English midfielder Glenn Hoddle. Uh, just a fun fact about you know his, his beginnings. Uh, he made his debut for Chelsea in a Champions League fixture away to Zelina and then scored his first Chelsea goal in the home fixture against Zelina. So within the space of a week or so, he had made his debut and got himself a goal. His Premier League debut came against Liverpool at Anfield. And in his first season, he made 19 appearances for the club. I now have a brief trivia to kick off the next season for Glenn Johnson for our listeners. Uh, and as always, we'll put this up on our Instagram and you can respond there as well. But in 2004, 2005, his second season at Chelsea, uh, Glenn Johnson ended up playing in goal after Carlo Cudicini was sent off during a fifth round FA Cup game against what club? And what was the final score? So I'll repeat that question. Glenn Johnson ended up playing in goal after Carlo Cudicini was sent off during a fifth round FA Cup game against what club and what was the final score? So as I said, we'll put it up on Instagram. You can send it a response to us there and whoever gets it right gets a shout out on the next episode. Uh, But just moving on that season, he made 16 appearances for Chelsea under Mourinho, winning the Premier League and featuring as a second half substitute and winning the Carling Cup versus Liverpool. Uh, the following season in 05-06, he only made four appearances and unfortunately missed out on winning the Premier League medal uh, because he didn't meet the minimum game requirement and then joined Portsmouth in the 06-07 season on a season-long loan. Uh, did well for them that season and eventually turned that loan do- move into a permanent deal for £4 million. He became the first choice right back at Portsmouth and actually scored a fantastic goal for them where he dribbled all the way from midfield and scored against Wigan Athletic. Um, He actually ended up scoring another beautiful goal against Hull City. So if you haven't seen it, go look it up on YouTube. Uh, He won the FA Cup with Portsmouth in 2008. Another fun fact, his medal was stolen from his hotel room uh, and the medals were never recovered. So the FA had to remake the medal and, and give it to him. Uh, so some crazy stuff happening there. In 2009, he moved to Liverpool for 18.5 million pounds, stayed there for six seasons, uh, scored actually a lot of good goals for them, a bunch of volleys. So while you're on YouTube looking up the Portsmouth goal, look up some of the Liverpool ones too. Uh, in 2015, moved to Stoke City. And in 2019, decided to retire from the game. He made a total of 365 club appearances, scoring 15 goals and a total of 54 appearances for England scoring one goal. So that is Glenn Johnson. I remember when he played in goal. That was a funny day. (laughs) It was. Uh, But that wraps it up. Uh, Good blast from the past section and a preview to the Palace game and a review of the Porto game. Um, 
and we will be back next week to do a review of the Palace game and a preview of the Porto game. So the games keep coming and we will be back. But until then, stay safe and up the chills.